Hello everyone! Welcome to the Gems Podcast. I am so glad you all are here. Um, hello everyone. Today we are so lucky to be joined by Elia Kondakar, who is an aftermarket operations staff engineer at Pratt & Whitney. Thank you so much for joining us today. To start off, do you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure, it's good to be here. Um, so like you mentioned, I am an aftermarket operations engineer. So part of my job at Pratt & Whitney is um, we have a lot of aftermarket shops that overhaul our engines that are coming off weighing from all different airlines. So part of my job and what my team does really is helping these shops across the world, you know, whether it's Japan or Singapore in the US as well. Um, we are helping these shops kind of come up to a certain technical and organizational competency level because we have shops that have been operating for years and then we have new shops. So the goal is to make sure that all the shops have the expertise and the training and everything that they need to be able to overhaul these engines. So the job is fun. We usually get to travel, but obviously 2020 and even most of this year, we probably won't get to travel. But right as I joined this uh, team, I actually went to Germany for a month and our team travels a lot, whether it's a couple of weeks to a month. So the job is really fun. The team is great. Um, outside of work, I always like outdoor stuff. So, and I would go hiking a lot. I'm located in Columbus, Georgia. I mean, you're in Columbus, Georgia, but we have team. My team is actually all across the U.S. So I always have to make sure I tell them where I'm located because we have people in Maine, um, Singapore, Connecticut, Georgia, Florida, everywhere. So, um, but I like a lot of hiking, outdoor stuff, kayaking, rafting. Um, majority of the time, since we've been quarantining right now, I've gotten into gardening recently because I just bought a house. So I actually have a backyard and I'm like, okay. So I've grown all sorts of stuff. That's kind of been what's keeping me occupied and busy and sane for the most part this past year or so. So um, I, just, I just really like staying active. I feel like I always need to do something because otherwise I would watch TV for a little bit, but then if it's like more than, an hour or so I'm like okay I need to go do something else so I'm a person that likes being active and always doing something so you know that's the gist of my personality I guess. Well congratulations on your new home that's exciting. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. So what did you go to school for to ultim ultimately um, take this position and roll on? Uh, so I went to Clarkson University, which is upstate New York, and I got my undergrad in um, aeronautical engineering. Um, I actually wanted to be an astronaut when I was younger, and so I realized I needed to be good at something, because astronauts are like the best at whatever topic or discipline they're part of. So, and I like planes, I like, you know, anything to do with outer space, okay, aerospace, aeronautical engineering was kind of um, what I felt like was my calling. And after that, obviously, I'm not an astronaut. So I senior year, because a lot of my class projects and design class was around um, coming up with our own design for airplanes and a lot of aerodynamics, thermodynamics type of classes. So I kind of started really liking airplanes. So as part of that, the market for my type of expertise is obviously like Prime Whitney, Boeing, Airbus, those type of um, jobs. So I ended up being um, getting a job at Pratt, which I love obviously right now, but my degree in school was aeronautical engineering. And what, what drew you into space? Do you remember an experience or a person that drew you into this field? Um, yes, I do, actually. I, I'm one of those type of people that kind of always knew what they wanted to be from a very young age, whereas I have um, nieces and nephews who are late teens. One of them is in college, and she's still like, I have no idea what I want to do yet. But I always knew I wanted to do, um, whether it's you know, being an astronaut or something in engineering, STEM, because I think it was third grade, mind you, I came to the US when I was seven years old from Bangladesh. So I didn't really know English at all. Um, I didn't know a lot of what was happening in my second grade, third grade classes, just because I didn't understand the language much. But one of the project was um, 
building a solar system out of like styrofoam and you know you, you build this you know the solar system with all the planets and stuff and I'm a very hands-on person and a visual person so doing that and then um, reading about seeing pictures of you know what it's like outside of earth I don't know I at my three-year-old not three-year-old third grade mind it was um it just really, really fascinated me. And I was like, oh my God. And that's when I learned about astronauts and like, you know, the telescopes and how we have the pictures. And I just felt like I really want to do that when I get older. Like that seems so cool. And so I kind of held on to that, that dream for um, as long as I can. And in high school was when I had to pick, I guess, as far as um, what I wanted to go into college for, what kind of major I wanted to do. And that led me down the you know stem field type of engineering degree type of thing but that project in third grade was what kind of inspired me and to this day I still hold on to that like being an astronaut would still be really cool and I that's why I still do airplanes because it's like the closest I can get to that at this point no yeah I I think that um, for me, at least, and I, some girls that are listening, were applying to college and trying to mm-hmm. figure out what we want to do. And when people ask us, they, you know, expect, yeah. expect an answer. And, <laughs> you, no. so you, you're in the same boat. You don't really know what you want to go in for yet. No, not, not a hundred percent. So, um, I, but I think that, you know, some people, when they know, they know. And yeah, exactly. And it's, it's nice, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, Right now, so I have my um, MBA, so I, I have a business degree, and I'm currently working on getting a industrial organization uh, psychology master's as well. It's, it's one of those things where because I was so transfixed on this one major, like one um, career path that I wanted, I didn't explore too much as far as, oh, is business right for me? Is other sciences right for me? Or do I want to do something more liberal, like liberal arts? So now as an adult already in my career, I'm exploring that now. So I would say you not knowing and kind of being open to different areas and different fields is probably a good thing because now I'm almost like having a, okay, I love my career, but is there something else I can be good at? How do I know if I don't try it? So I'm just like, you know, trying to do different major, different degrees and trying to see if that would actually inspire me to either change my career or just really appreciate what I have now. It's like, you know what, even though I enjoy these other things, I really like being an engineer and this is where I want to stay. So I'm still working through that <laughs> and, you know, in, in my adult life. So it's interesting. And do, so, you, do you think in your, in your job as you pursue those um, different uh, degrees, do you think that the majority of your work pertains to your original STEM degree, or do you think it really branches out to like business and things like that? <coughs> um, definitely the latter part of what you're saying, because the technical part is very limited to the engine and how it functions, how it works. But beyond that, you know, um, even in school, they emphasize teamwork and leadership and everything else that you probably put in your resume for applications for colleges when you write your essays. But that it's very real and obviously in the work environment. So a lot of it is um, how well do I problem solve, not just technical problems, but people problems. Like uh, upper management, they'll always tell you the hardest part about this job isn't the product or the technical stuff, it's the people. Like people skills is like the most sought out um, skill that, at, at least at my level, because this is where you get into management and like you're leading project instead of just being like a individual contributor. So a lot of it, um, as far as the technical stuff goes, It's good to have the aeronautical mechanical engineering background because it teaches us how to do analytical thinking. um, That teaches us how to really look at a complex problem and simplify it in our mind so we know how to take it in bite size. Because, you know, we have an engine that flies on wing and that carries people. When you look at problems on a very large viewpoint, you're just like, I don't know how to solve this problem. 
it never is something that you can solve in a day. It requires subject matter experts from every single department that we have. So it, it's a very meticulous, but you got to know what each of the steps should be. So that part is very um, relevant to like my experience in school, I would say, like doing big projects and really learning how to take something complex and simplify it so that I know what to do. But beyond that, everything else <laughs> is not related to my degree at all. Um, it's things that I've learned on the job from experience, from previous positions. And um, it's just like a, a toolbox that you keep adding your skills into as you know, each year that I'm in this company, there's always something new that I learned. So I added to my little toolbox. And um, the technical stuff, I would say none of the equations I learned, I forgot all of them by now, so don't ask. Um, it, it's just more about how fast do you learn and how well do you learn the new things and how, um, how quickly can your brain pick up technical jargon, technical theories and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what carries forward from school to my job. Not so much, oh, this equation, this physics problem, this is how I would do it. Um, none of that really stays with you because you don't, you don't end up using any of that. At, at this level, you just learn how to do the problem solving and the technical, some of the technical theories would show up now and then, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, so in, in a previous episode, we talked to Amanda, which you worked yeah. with, introduced me mm -hmm. to, and, and she kind of said, the majority of what I do, Pratt and Whitney taught me how to do. It, yeah. know, <laughs> really, it really is, you learn it once you start. Yeah, working. exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And what, I mean, Amanda and I work together all the time and she's great. So part of, you know, her project management job is you, she does a lot more running around and like doing projects and things like that too. It's like, neither of us went to school to, do people management stuff, but everything that we do, even technically, we learn on the job. You know, you every time you go to a new position, it's like, okay, you're a newbie here. You have about six months to kind of get used to the, because we have engine manuals, right? Procedures and processes and all that kind of stuff. So you use the first six months or so to get familiar. You do small individual contribution, like small projects where you're contributing in a bigger project. And then a year or two into your position, you're like leading the project because now you've learned it. And like Amanda said, Pratt teaches you what you need to know to do your job. You just need to be eligible to get that job to begin with and which is, you know, how everything that you put in your resume from college till now. So all of that kind of contributes to that. But you, you learn stuff on the job as you get there. And, and do you think... Um as you were advancing in your education and now in your career, did you see an apparent gap between the amount of men and the amount of women? Definitely the, uh, if it comes to just like quantity of females to male ratio, for sure. I mean, engineering schools to, you know, being, and I went to a very small school as well. Clarkson University is like, well, at least when I attended, um, I think undergrad and grad school, that includes like all graduate PhD students, we were like 4,000 you know, students, which isn't a lot at all <laughs> because I know colleges that are, you know, go from 20 to 40,000 students. So it was a very small private school. And even within that, our engineering degree was even more specialized. So I was amongst maybe four or five other females in a classroom lecture hall of 60 to 100 students, right? So very, very small amount. And this is, so freshman year, say you have about 10 to 20 out of 100 females by senior year where people have dropped out or, you know, for either change majors or whatever, we, it was down to maybe five or six of us. And we all know each other because we've seen each other for four years. We've taken all the same classes. It's a small school too. So um, definitely uh, the difference there, and it kind of carries over to work as well. So after I left school and got into, you know, started working at Pratt, I wasn't surprised that in a meeting with my team or like a bigger team, it would be out of 20, 30 employees, it would be me and maybe Amanda, actually, because we were part of the same team. Like me and her would probably be like the only two females in the room, or sometimes it would just be me 
and bunch of men and older men too, not really even my age. So there was always a um, age difference as which, you know, it's the work environment, not necessarily a gender problem, but, um, and yeah, a lot of the time it's just, I'm the only female, but on that note, I know there's always, um, I'm not sure how other companies um, treat their female or um, I know Pratt's really good about it. Like I've, at least in those situations where I was the only female, or maybe one of, you know, a couple, um, there wasn't ever, well, not ever, but it's very rare that I would feel any sort of prejudice or bias because of being a female, but that's just my personal experience. Um, maybe I've, I just don't look for it or I'm, I'm aware of it because I know other, other females on the team, they would comment that they're experiencing something that I just feel like I haven't noticed. Maybe it's just me that I don't notice it, but people on my team have said, oh, if I was a guy, this wouldn't have happened to me. Or like, I probably would have um, had a different result by doing something. So it's not so much that it doesn't happen. I just can't really say that I've paid too much mind to it because I do my job and I try to do it well and it's just like okay if someone doesn't like it then I haven't noticed well that's <laughs> good no that's that's great yeah uh, I mean I'm sure if, if I like really paid attention to how someone it, it's just one of those things where you got to kind of pick what you put your energy into and for my it's such a tech I have such a technical job that a lot of my energy just goes into the job that if the work can speak for itself, at least in my situation, then I don't really need to worry about how I'm being perceived as a female. So, but my, I feel like my case is very different than what other females go through, even within my own team. Well, no, that that's wonderful. And, and as uh, the technical side of your career, um, the projects that you've worked on that you mentioned, mm-hmm. have you had like a m- most, like your proudest accomplishment or your your favorite project that you've worked on that you would want to go back to and lead and stuff like that or Mm. work (laughs) work is very interesting um I do have see the work that I'm most proud of are not it's probably not necessarily the most um highest accomplished it's just you know something that you enjoy so my highest accomplishment project would probably be um, something that we, me and my entire team that contributed to this campaign for a module in the engine that we had to retrofit for the entire fleet. So every single engine, which is thousands of engines that has already been sent out to service and everything, they all had to come back. Um, and Amanda worked on this too and they get retrofitted and everything. So that for that project, my team got a Pratt & Whitney Leadership Award, which is one of the highest awards that a team can get based on the work, um, how it impacts the business. So I would say accomplishment-wise, because that is the highest level of accomplishment we can get, I would say that was my highest accomplishment, but not necessarily my favorite one. Um, it was a lot of work, a lot of pressure. So I wouldn't say I enjoyed the team and really getting that accomplishment feeling at the end. It's like, okay, we're done. We did it. I don't have to worry about it. It was one of those situations. Um, as for fun projects, I covered um, military engines for about a year and a half when I was actually in Connecticut because I moved from Connecticut to Georgia. And um, the F, the military F-135 engines that goes on the F-35 fighter jet is, I feel like military engines are just insane and very different than like commercial airplanes because obviously you don't have the afterburner. It's when we would go to max power because I was a, a test engineer. So we would test it in the test stand. And when we would take the throttle to full power, the entire building would shake and you can hear the rumble and you're watching it on the screen, but the engine is like right across the, like basically in the next room, the test cell, because you're in the control room. And that experience, I would say, I to this day, like I just think military engines are so amazing and fantastic just because of how much power they have. And when the building would shake, I, I would feel like my heart is shaking with it. <laughs> it was just really, really like thrilling. It was very thrilling. Um, that lasted for a year and a half. So I really enjoyed that. 
Um, the engines, because it's military, it's more as part of um, the non the non technical side. It's very it's more streamlined because the government kind of dictates all of the requirements. So there's very room for you to have to finagle and like kind of pick and choose what you want to do or how you want to do it. Everything is defined. All you have to do is implement and execute it really well. So in terms of doing the job, it was much simpler. Everybody knew what their jobs were, what they needed to do. You just come into the job and you do it. No hassle, no drama, no like bureaucracy problem. Like, oh, we don't have budget or we need more time, any of that. So it was really great. And liking the product, like what I was doing as a test engineer on the engine and really liking the engine and everything else. I feel like that was, um, I'm really glad I have that experience because I always refer back to that whenever I, you know, like, okay, did I like what I have been doing at Pratt? It's like, no, I really like my job because there was this one time when I did military engines and I would like to go back to doing that at some point maybe. So I think that was the job that I enjoyed the most, but the job that got the most recognition or would be the recent project with um, the leadership award one. So it's, but, it's a variety. <laughs> no, I think the the military engines and um, planes and jets and things like that, that sounds really, that sounds really yeah. neat. It, it, it's really, really neat. And that's also an area where if it comes to gender differences, definitely like the only female <laughs> in the room. Like you rarely get too many, um, women are just not, at least from when I was covering it, I was the only female engineer in the test, in the control room, doing any of the inspections on the engine, or like the only female basically on the entire team. So, you know, there's commercial, there's the engineering companies, and then there's like specific organizations within the company that have even fewer female than like other areas of the company. And military engine was one of those. So definitely solo female <laughs> for a lot of that project. And, and, and that was fun too. No, yeah, and and do you think that um, like a lot of Pratt's work, the majority comes from like commercial engines, and and like a small percentage comes from military, or do you think that that um, makes up a lot? I think over the years, it's definitely shifted a little bit because we've gotten more contracts for military in the recent, I would say, past decade or so. So military is very up and running. It's as far as the division between commercial and military, I'm not sure what the percentage is. I would say they're very close to each other. Um, on the commercial side, I know right now because of the new and the geared turbofan engine that we have, which covers um, most of the market share we have on commercial engines you know, worldwide. I would think that um, even if they're very close, uh, majority of it is on the commercial side right now. Uh, maybe 55, 50, 50, 60, I don't know. But um, military is very high because we also um, merge with Raytheon, which is you know, extremely military, you know, defense, missiles, and all that. So with the addition of Raytheon technologies, um, I would say maybe the overall business corporation, like from RTX in general, might be more military. But for Prime Whitney, we're more commercial for sure. No, I, I always wonder, like, I feel like maybe it's because I'm growing up and I um, hear more about it, but I always hear about like government contracts and like mm -hmm. different in different areas that are like, oh, yeah, I feel yeah, like you're starting sure. to get more popular. I don't know. Maybe it's it is, you know, because with GE, um, that's the other, you know, General Electric is the other big jet engine commercial engine manufacturer. So we would always compete with them for contracts. And yeah, definitely in the past 10 years, I would say the amount of contracts and new technologies, because you want to stay, it's called like disruptive uh, technology. So you always want to come up with the most innovative technology. So you can either hold on to having the, the market share or you're eligible enough to compete. So um, with Pratt, getting the contract for the F-135 engines, that was a big one because that lasted us um, over a decade of just testing, flying, going into service. We're still doing flight tests on it, even though I think a part of it is also already being used for, you know, in service. But there is also um, several other programs 
that just came on in the past five years. So that's probably more of what you're hearing either on the news or from people because a lot of people have been working on the military side recently. Yeah, and that's, yeah. A, that's probably exciting for a lot of people that you work with, so. That's yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and it keeps the, uh, it's a different avenue for the company to make money from as well because, um, you know, with the government, unless the government takes the funding away, you have your funding. With commercial, if the airlines aren't flying, then you don't have any funding <laughs> or revenue. So it's, you know, we, the company I'm sure prefers government funding more because it's more stable and you have reassurance and it's going to be there once you get it. But on the commercial side, it's you have to sell the product and wait to, for it to mature. And then you see actually a return. So we're always spending more upfront and then later on, when the engine is doing well and there's maintenance that needs to be done, that's when you can say, oh, okay, we can actually make some money off of this now. So the military is very different. So on a business perspective, um, the company does like the military side a little bit more. <laughs> oh, no, I can totally understand that. And, and mm -hmm. you were saying, like, if people aren't flying and things like that, so do you think with the coronavirus limiting the amount of people flying has... Um, I guess, limited the jobs that you guys are working on? Or has there been another way that the pandemic has affected your work? Um, the pandemic has impacted the company. Obviously, you know, you know small, from small businesses, the big corporations like RTX a lot, especially for us being in the airline industry because nobody's flying anymore. So airlines aren't using our engines. They're not... Um, you know, buying our engines because they don't even, they're grounding all their airplanes as well. So that impacted us financially as a, as a company, which means um, we all got salary reductions. We all got, um, you know, furloughs, which basically paid unpaid time off all that. Um, but beyond the financial side work, we um, work didn't really change very much at the beginning. Um, but it but because the demand for we had so many engines in backlog and so much prod so many projects and so much work that we couldn't get to because we were so busy in 2019 that during 2020 with the pandemic it was like oh hey we have time to do all of those other things that we couldn't get to so project-wise, it didn't change. Um, as soon as we finished one, we started going into our backlog. So we finished um, all of the engines that were in backlog. They all finished the whole campaign with um, the engines that we had to retrofit because there was an issue with one of the modules. We went through all of that in, in a year when originally we were projecting we wouldn't be done for the next couple of years because we could only do so many in a given time period. But because there was no new work coming in from the airlines, we were able to just go into the pile of work we had left over. But then um, towards the end of the year when we had the layoff, because I think we got about 15,000 or so people laid off, that definitely changed the dynamic of individual teams. Because now out of my team of, I think it was eight or nine of us, you know, we got two people laid off and those two people were doing a lot of work. And then we got somebody else who left the job. So we, we lost a lot of teammates um, because of the pandemics that kind of uh, shifted our, the remaining people, our projects, because now not only are we still doing our own, but we also had to cover for other projects or reprioritize and drop certain projects that were no longer as hot as it was in a couple of months ago or because other products that just took priority. So it, it was a, a juggle of prioritizing, you know, financing, getting the resources and all of that. So kudos to my own manager because from a managerial level, that's when it bugs it for me. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? These are all my projects, let me just work on those. But for him, it's like, we just lost three people. We're losing another person. And we just have more projects to do, but we don't have budget to do it. So there is so much on the managerial level that Pratt had to figure out. But on my level, it was just, as soon as I get more projects, it's a question of, all right, what else can I not necessarily give up, but like if I was giving a 90% to a project and now have another project, 
okay, can I give it 50% now? And then the rest of the 40% can go on something else because you know the other 10% is somewhere else. So it's, it's a matter of how much time and energy and how do I delegate all of my energy into which project? So all of us in our team have to go through that and kind of figure out um, the best way. And we're still going through that. I mean, just because it's 2021, nothing's really changed, right? So we're still going through that. Um, we're still trying to get more people into our team. If that happens, um, it's, it's more of a budget thing. But you know, we're still going through that. And I think we're going to go through the whole shifting and trying to manage um, projects and time. Um, at least for the next, I don't know, mid 2021-ish, probably. So it'll take some time for anything at all to feel back to normal, which it might never get to normal at this point, especially work-wise. So we'll see. Yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see, like, from different fields, you know, what mm -hmm. the lasting impacts of the pandemic will be in your field and education mm -hmm. and, and, and also- yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm curious about that too. I, I honestly, and this goes for everybody uh, in my team, we don't know what we're going to be doing just two months from now. Like everything is so dynamic. Um, as far as even we're changing so many people in leadership, it, it's really hard to tell what the team is going to look like just a few months from now, whereas, you know, before you have your five-year, 10-year plan, nothing really changes. Right now, everything is just like dark. We're taking a day at a time. Like social life, personal life, and work life is all the same. You just take it one day at a time and then figure out what you're going to do the next day. It's really hard to project and, you know, foresee anything in the future at this point. And your team that is juggling, you know, trying to delegate and do different things. Um, mm -hmm. do, it's really hard. Are the members of that team from the same training as you or do they have like different backgrounds? Because I assume when you're working on a project, you need different perspectives. So, um, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, everybody's different. Um, we are different in age, in gender, in work experience, um, location as well. So we work with people from Europe, from Japan, from Singapore, from Asia, everywhere, right? And then there is time differences. <laughs> and then there is older people, you know, in their late 40s, 50s, 60s. And then there's people in their early 20s, mid 20s, 30s. So it's, it's all across the board. And um, it's interesting that even though we're so different, we're impacted exactly the same way, <laughs> exactly the same way. So when it comes to team bonding, it's like we can all bond over <laughs> the one thing that we all have in common, which is things are just really insane right now. That's pretty much it. Absolutely. And from like an educational standpoint, do you all have um, similar degrees or different degrees? Um, overall, I know majority, if not, if, especially if you have an engineering technical job, almost everybody has um, an engineering degree. So whether it's mechanical, electrical, aerospace, aeronautical, um, I think that's pretty chemical. We don't really do too much of any of that unless you have like a strong mechanical background for some reason with a chemical degree. But yeah, majority of the engineers have either a aerospace or a mechanical degree. Um, and then depending on how old you are or for some people, a lot of them also might have a higher education like a master's in systems engineering or an MBA, which is very popular and or like another if, if they had a bachelor's and master's some people do go for um sorry a bachelor's in mechanical they'll go for a master's in mechanical as well sometimes so because the company pays for our master's degrees and you know things like that it's very common for a lot of people in the team or in the company to just have master's degrees because why not <laughs> you just go and, do, and that's what i'm doing right i'm working on my second master's and that's only because pratt's paying for it otherwise i wouldn't spend the money or the energy to go get a degree if i had to pay it off of my own pocket so yeah it's i think majority of the people are mainly at least they come in as engineering degrees you know majors and then 
based on what their interests are, they'll either get a master's in something engineering related or business or, you know, something completely different. Because there's no. no restrictions on what you can get your major on. <laughs> and, and that's so nice of Pratt. Yeah. <laughs> it is very, very nice. And I think we, um, not just like RTX has, if not been one of the best, if not the best, um, employee scholar program for like um, paying for people to get degrees because there's no limit into how many degrees you can get. Like I can be a Pratt for 40 years and keep just going back to school for more and more things. They'll pay for it. And um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. I really like that part about being here. <laughs> well, you know, applying for me as a senior, applying to college and, and things and scholarships, you mm-hmm. realize how important it is to have that financial support. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> College is not cheap. Oh my God. Even when I was in, I don't even know what the tuition of Clarkson is, but when I attended, it went from 45000 a year to I think fifty five or 57 And I that was almost 10 years ago. I can't even imagine what the tuition is right now. I don't even, actually, I don't even want to think about it because it's insane how much it costs to get a degree just so you can be in debt, then go to work to pay off your debt. Yes, no, I, it's, 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 it's like a cycle that you just can't escape from. So yeah, I definitely understand uh, the financial burden of going into school. And that's why I appreciate not having to worry about finances to go get a master's degree because otherwise, I don't think I would have invested in it. I would have still wanted it very much, but I don't think I would have made the investment because who has you know fifty, hundred thousand dollars to spend on an education if they're not even really going to do much with it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So. No, definitely understand. Do, so you, you say you don't know what your major is going, do you have a particular, um, I don't know, maybe not like a specific major, but are you into STEM? Or are you more into arts and stuff? So what do you see yourself, I guess, going for in the end, if you had to make a decision? Uh, well, right now, uh, I'm an intended biochem engineer. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, um, that's but... Awesome. I think it could change uh, my, right now my career aspiration uh, is to join the Air Force. Okay. So I'm not- So do you want to be a, like to fly or do you want to be a pilot or- um, I don't, do you... I don't think I would fly. Um, the Air Force has like a wonderful space program, which would be- Oh, cool. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also I can see myself doing um, like- a medical side of the Air Force and they have mm-hmm. the military in general has mm-hmm. like so many opportunities and wonderful scholarship programs to pay for. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, um, that's definitely true. Now that sounds awesome. I yeah. really like that. Biochemical, you said biochemical engineering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I really wanted to um, look into if I could go back and I don't know, choose something else for a college degree. And I mean, not that I can, but I would, I was looking into like biomedical engineering because I definitely like the health and medicine side of things, but I also wanted to incorporate into engineering or something like more hands-on. So I was like, oh, that would be cool. So biochemical engineering sounds really cool as well. Yeah, we, we were lucky to have um, a biomedical engineer interviewed and talking about, you know, building um things out of biological materials just yeah super interesting so it's like so revolutionary it almost feels sci-fi right it's like oh my god and so one of my my niece um she has um cancer in her knee so they had to put like a prosthetic basically leg on her so you know and that's part of biomedical engineering and I'm like oh my god that is so cool you're literally saving lives this way and I feel like the level of fulfillment and how hands-on you get not only do you get to do engineering and medicine and stuff but you have such a literal impact on a person's life like right away for me working on airplanes yes we want to make it safe so the people who are flying can stay safe but you don't get that immediate reward right of like helping out versus like the biomedical engineer where you make a product and it goes 
to a child who gets to walk because of that. And I feel that's just so, I think that's so awesome. Yeah, no, I'm interested in, in kind of things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's good luck to you. I think that would be, (laughs) the, the point is to really enjoy what you do. And I don't know, I feel like that's end of the day, you just need to have fun because your career is literally almost your whole life, like your youth, right? I don't know, until you retire is when you're young, you retire because you're old. So what's the point of having fun when you're old? Like you want to do something while you're young that you can enjoy and have fun, which also pays the bills, but also gives you the money you need to live your life. So it's a balance. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. I guess a bit bit of a fun question um, that kind of stumps anyone that I ask is, (laughs) okay (laughs) it is um if you had the opportunity to sit down with one woman in stem she can be alive Mm -hmm. or not um Mm -hmm. sit down with her for lunch who would that be one woman in stem um for me it would probably be an astronaut (laughs) What's her name? Jessica, um, I forget her last name, but she recently came back from um, from being in the, the shuttle. And I feel like if I could relate, like bring back my inner child and really talk and like bond with someone, it would be um, a, a female astronaut, which would be cool because I have so many questions because I want to live vicariously through them, right? <laughs> That's what happens when you want to be something or you have a dream, but somebody else lives your dream and you're just like, tell me everything. And I just want to like live through your life. So I would, that, that would probably be my go-to for STEM. Um, can't really think of anybody else that would be on a higher list than that, but yeah, definitely going for the astronaut. <laughs> No, yeah, no, she's super cool. I, I listened to a podcast with her mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a month ago, so. Okay, yeah, 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 no, I feel like there, um, I was, uh, I watched a whole bunch of shows on Netflix, like there's Mars, that was uh, based off of like what Elon Musk is doing, and you know, a little bit of fantasy, um, fiction in there as well, and then there was uh, the other show, Away, which I kind of binged and watched, but you know, it's all about going to Mars and being an astronaut and the, the, um, the training and mental fortitude that you need to live away from family, from not even like, you know how we get homesick for traveling somewhere for a while, maybe a different country, different, you know, just out of state, but leaving your entire world, like Earth, <laughs> and then um, going somewhere new and, you know, dealing with people that you see it, like the, one of the shows, Mars, they were going into like how people break mentally, just not being able to do something where you're either, you're so out of your comfort zone or you have nowhere to go within your own space away from a person you might have conflict with that it literally breaks your personality and your identity as a person. And as an astronaut, seeing things from that high of a view, you're looking back on Earth and then seeing what's going on on Earth, you're just like, are you serious? (laughs) Like, one, you feel really humble because, you know, you realize how small humans and we are in a a big point of view. But also it's just, I feel it's really is your brain just explodes. Like whenever I think about it, I'm just like, oh my God, like, I just can't even imagine. So having a conversation with, you know, Jessica or any other astronaut, really, I feel like would put a lot of things into perspective because they see life way different than us, you know, who've never left Earth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that, I, I think that um, I was, I don't remember what it was called, but just like when you, when you go to space mm-hmm. and, and kind of like you're saying, just like your perspective changes. And I would wonder, um, like some, I always think like, what could I research? And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like researching like their, their perspective of like mm-hmm. before they went to space and then yep. after they went to space, kind of mm-hmm. like how they view different things and like what, 
what is important to them before and oh, after yeah. and things like that. That would be super yeah. interesting. I think so. I think it, it, it probably like during the training, you think you know what's going to change or what's important, but it's very different probably being up there and realizing um, why did I spend all this time doing all this other stuff that has like no meaning in my life. And you come back like ready to live your life to the fullest or something. <laughs> I don't know. But that would be really cool to, you know, see what's what's changed in their life or how they act or behave or what, what they spend their time on after they come back. Because now they realize some things are just not worth the time because of what their experience has told them. That, that would be really cool for sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I clearly really want to be an astronaut still. So we'll see. <laughs> you still got time. <laughs> I know. That's what people tell me. It's like, you want to do it. You got to follow your dreams. It's like, yeah, but I'm really comfortable and I like where I am. <laughs> it, it's one of those things where following your dream really takes, um, you know, it, and being an astronaut is, is very different than, oh, I want to go back to school and, you know, probably be a biomedical engineer. Maybe that's something I can do versus being an astronaut, more easily at least than um, being an astronaut. But it, it's one of those things where I'm just like, shoot for this, you know, shoot for the moon. Even if you don't make it, you'll fall somewhere close to something else that you really like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I guess uh, as we come to a close, I have one more question. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice for girls pursuing a career like yours or just um, interested in STEM? Um, I think I, uh, mentioned a little earlier. It's when, like where I am right now, or even just starting any, anywhere in your career, um, what you do becomes part of, if not your whole identity. It's like, I am an engineer. That's what I identify as because, um, I like it. I went to school for it. It's something that I spend, you know, eight to 10, sometimes 12 or more hours of my day doing almost every day. Um, it becomes your identity. So it's really, really important to me. And it's something I would advise to anybody else, um, female or male at this point, is make sure that what you choose for a career is something that you're okay with being your identity. Like, whether you know you go into music or maybe STEM, you know something, any anything really, it's it becomes who you are, or you become who that you know particular major or career is. It's really important that you like it, you are okay with identifying with it, and it brings value and joy into your life because otherwise, life is gonna be very hard. <laughs> um, as far as STEM goes, there is. I, I try to, I ask myself this all the time, if I wasn't doing engineering, you know, whether it's biomedical or any other science and engineering type of work, what else would I rather be doing? And very rare, and I can't really think of anything else that I would rather do because I feel like what I do now is impactful. It um, not only does it give me value, but as an engineer or even in a science and technology area, you're contributing to society, you're contributing to humanity, right? One way or another, you're doing something that you leave behind for another generation to come and pick up. So this is an area that I feel like has a lot of reward and value. And it's something like when I have kids, I would also encourage them to go into STEM as well, just because I, you know, I enjoy it, I like it, um, I'm hands-on, so it's, it's really, so anybody who's hands-on and does like all those things, so STEM is definitely very broad, and it adds a lot of um, areas that you can touch upon and leave something, and also help more than just yourself, like whether it's your community or your society or humanity in general, so uh, that was a long answer, but <laughs> One is make sure you pick a career that you can identify with and really like. And two is STEM definitely has a lot to offer. So it's, it's worth exploring. Well, thank you so much for your time no and your thank you. wisdom. It was, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed yeah. it. I had fun too. Thanks for all the great questions. I think that was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, um, well, we're um, getting your portrait uh, kind of sketched out and then, um, if you could actually 
forward me your address. I'm, I'm not sure if I have it. I might, but we send thank you um, to everyone. Okay. I don't think I've sent, at least I don't remember if I sent it. Okay. okay. I can do that. Yeah. Yes. And awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I'm glad you're doing this. This is really nice. Yes. Thank you so, so much. So you're a senior going to college. Is someone else picking this up after you leave? I hope it continues. It seems yeah, like really I, encouraging. I, I do. I hope so. Um, I think that it's important to, if I like, you know, built this organization to have mm -hmm. it um, self-sustaining. So yeah, later yeah, in the future, awesome. I hope um, people will bring it upon themselves. Um, but I think, yeah. I think there are girls that are super passionate about it. So I think they'll, I hope they keep uh, it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Are you looking to leave um, Georgia? Or like, are you limiting yourself to any particular region of the country or the world for college or is it just wherever you find um fits your you know interest um so in georgia i guess you're not from here so um what they have through the lottery is mm -hmm. um a scholarship program that will pay for um your tuition so okay. um, if you have i think it's like a three point something like if you have a certain GPA and you have certain mm -hmm. test scores then um they'll pay for uh almost all of your tuition oh so, that's awesome yes I I yeah. decided to stay I am not aware of that and not a lot of states do that mm -hmm. so there's one called hope which is like mm -hmm. a lower level and then there's Zell Miller which is okay. higher level and they'll pay for almost all your school so um definitely gonna stay in state I'm between okay. Uh, the University of Georgia and Georgia Tech. So okay, cool. Um, yeah, well, that's see. awesome. Yep. Yeah. Good luck to you. Hopefully, you know get into that program so you don't have to worry about finances. Yeah. <laughs> that's also nice. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, and um, right. I'll email you soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can contact us through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at ColgaGems. You can also reach us through email. Our email is colgagems at gmail.com. That is C-O-L-G-A-G-E-M-S. And I'll see y'all next time.